Good morning. We're so glad that you are here with us. Today we are celebrating the third Sunday of Advent. And in just a moment, we're going to light some candles behind me. Uh, So if you're worshiping at home with us, we invite you to light your candles along with us. We're going to create a sacred space for our worship time. Each Sunday, we light a candle in the Advent wreath to remember what God's promises are, to be light in the darkness. The wreath, we find out, is a circle with no beginning and no end, symbolizing God's unending love and his faithfulness for us. The first candle that we lit on the first Sunday of Advent represents our hope in Jesus Christ. The second candle represents the peace that only he can bring. And today, as we light the third candle, we remember the joy that we experience in his love. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this morning, we're going to celebrate Jesus. Are you with me? All right, let's stand together at home. Join in with us, all right? You can clap along if you've got two hands that are ready to clap. Let's do this. Hark the Herald, you ready to go? Here we go. Hark the Herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy, my God in sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations is right, join the triumph of the sky. Jericho's proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the new King 
Come on, let's give him praise this morning. Lord God, we are standing in your light. We are grateful beyond measure that you sent your son to be the light of the world. Lord, as a global community, we're struggling, we're tired, we're fearful, but we look to you, God, and we pray that we can have the joy and delight in you the way our kids do in this Advent season. Be with us this day and every day and help us to feel your light always. In your name we pray, amen. Well, good morning and welcome. My name is Sally Couture, and I have the joy of serving as an elder here at Christ Church, and I just want to welcome everyone. Whether you are joining us here in the room or online, we are so glad you've taken the time to worship with us. If you are new, we um, would love to get to know you better. If you are interested in finding out more about Christ Church, we invite you to um, look at our website online, text the number on the screen, or even join in the chat if you're online. Whatever way that you are joining us, welcome. Well, the Christmas story reveals that we no longer need to be afraid. The light of the world has come to lead us from fear to faith in the God who carries the weight of the world, who declares us beloved and can show up anywhere in our lives. Next weekend, our senior pastor, Dan Meyer, is bringing us the message of hope, and as we continue in our series, The Light Leads Us, think about inviting someone else maybe to um, join you in watching this message, um, especially someone who needs this message of hope. Well, Christmas Eve is coming, as we all know, and this year our Christmas Eve services are all going to be online. I know that um, for everyone involved, especially the musicians and the, the tech people and the pastors, Christmas Eve is a big, special time, and they are working so hard to put together an amazing online experience. Thousands of people worship here on Christmas Eve, and in order to be you know, respectful of, of the safety and health of everyone, we have moved the service to online. But it will still be a wonderful, wonderful celebration of Christ's birth. Contemporary services will be offered at 4, 6, 8, and 10 o'clock. Classic services at 5, 7, 9, and 11. So a huge range there. And it's also um, on demand, whatever works for your schedule. Our team is also putting together something new that I'm very excited about. They're calling it Christmas Shorts, and these are 10 to 15 minute devotionals that include um, a message and worship. It is ideal for families, but will be a wonderful message for anybody at any season of life. These will be available on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before Christmas Eve. And just to help in this time, we have set up reminders for things like this. So you can um, sign up either through text or email for a reminder for the Christmas shorts. It'll tell you when they're available. You can also um, sign up for a reminder for Christmas Eve services, and you'll get a reminder 30 minutes before the service. So lots of ways to, to make sure you're not forgetting the schedule. Well, during um, COVID, I know that we've all found different ways to um, connect with loved ones, to reach out to others. And we want to highlight today um, one family's response to the light of Christ to their neighbors and community. The McNaughton family of Western Springs organized a mini food drive. 
And um, sometimes we think that our little contribution isn't enough, but they thought beyond that. They reached out to others and they gathered food to share with people. And the joy they're experiencing, knowing that someone is getting a meal that might not have had much is amazing. Inviting others to help multiplies gifts. And isn't that what God does? He invites us to give our gifts and he multiplies them. The joy the McNaughton family and their neighbors felt is, um, is exactly the joy that God wants us to feel. I invite you to join the many people who give to Christ Church through a text gift, through um, dropping off a gift in one of our drop boxes here at church. You can even mail it the old school way. Or if you're here in the room with us, there are offering plates available as you leave the sanctuary. However you give, we are so thankful.
Well, again, welcome to Christ Church. It is so good to be with all of you here in the room and all of you online as well. If I have not gotten the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Aaron Foster and I serve on our staff team here at Christ Church. Each week we are just so excited to see this community here grow um, with the new faces in the building, all of the new names on the chat and the live stream. And so thank you for being such a valuable and important part of this Christ Church family. Before we go any further, would you join me in a word of prayer? Great God, comforting Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts today, Lord, be pleasing to you. God, and may your word that is living and active cause us to see a bigger perspective of what hope can be in you and the joy, the pure joy of a life lived after you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, theologian N.T. Wright tells a story of two brothers who grew up next door to a man who had been long retired from a successful career. The man's property had everything a kid could want. Large, open, grassy areas, a swimming pool in the backyard, even a tennis court. But the man's own children had all moved out decades ago and there was really nobody around to keep the property up anymore. The pool was half empty and dirty. There were weeds all throughout the lawn and the tennis court was covered in old leaves. The the net sagged lifelessly through the center of it. But nevertheless, the boys loved to play in their neighbor's yard, although they couldn't quite figure out the tennis court. They had never seen tennis being played before in their lives. The markings on the court didn't make any sense to them at all, and so they did what kids do best, and they invented a new game. They took the only ball they had, which was a football, And they created this game in which they would try to kick the ball over the net and get it to land in specific sections of the tennis court. The only problem was that this game was not fun at all. (laughs) It was terrible. You see, there there was no objective, really. There was no challenge. There was no strategy. Obviously, it just wasn't great. The court that they were playing on wasn't made for that game. But that game was all they knew. It was all they thought they had, and so they kept playing it, day in and day out. And one day, one of their neighbor's grown daughters came to visit her father. And as she was approaching the front door, she heard the boys from around the side of the house playing at the very tennis court that she had spent countless hours on growing up, practicing her forehand, training, and growing deeper in love with the sport that she cared about so much. She walked up to the court and she smiled as she saw the the makeshift football kicking game that the boys had been playing. And she said to them, would you like to learn how to play the real thing? Would you like to learn to play tennis? The boys looked at her a little bit unsure and without receiving because, you know, they just couldn't imagine that there was something greater than what they were playing. They couldn't see the vision of what could be better than this game for this random court. And so she didn't get much of a response from them, but she just started to sweep the leaves off the tennis court. 
She went up and she tightened the net to make it taut and ready to go. She ran to the garage to grab her old tennis rackets and a bucket of balls. And soon enough, those two boys developed a newfound energy and a newfound joy over a much more difficult but a much more rewarding game. Now, admittedly, this story is not the most Christmassy story you've ever heard, but I hope that it offers a healthy perspective of today's passage in a way that helps us to see the ways and the depth um, that the light of Jesus leads us from suffering into true joy. We are in week three um, of our Advent series where we are looking at some of the stories of Jesus' life to see how his light can transform us from loneliness, suffering, fear, and instability into love, joy, peace, and faith. In the Advent season, all across the world, we are waiting expectantly for Jesus to come and we're celebrating the transformational hope that he brings each of us in his coming. So let's jump into the scripture today. You can read along on the screens or by opening up to John 5, 1 through 9. And let's take a look at this story of Jesus and see how his light can lead us from suffering into joy. The scripture says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he said to them, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. Well, Merry Christmas. There's our our Advent reading. We actually might be making history today. That might be the very first time that this passage has ever been used in an Advent series. But again, as we look at the, the life of Jesus and the characteristics that he displayed as he interacted with people that he came across throughout his ministry, we get to see the power of the amazing gift of Christmas. And so let's get into some of the context of this passage today. To, to start, we'll dive right into the pool of Bethesda together. The pool of Bethesda, I can't even say it, or Bethsaida, or if we really want to get into the Aramaic, it's Bethesda, was many, one of many pools in the city of Jerusalem. You can kind of see it on the image on the screen there. Because Jerusalem was built on top of a mountain and surrounded by desert, the people of the city used pools and cisterns to collect water from rain and from the springs for their families. And this specific pool of Bethesda and the surrounding courtyard-like area was used as a place to treat people who were sick or ailing. And that's where it got its name. Bethesda in Aramaic means house of mercy. Legend has it that at Bethesda, angels would come down once a day and stir the water. They'd trouble the water as the saying went. And the first person 
who would be able to touch the pool after that stirring would be healed of the conditions that were ailing them. And so that's exactly what would happen. All of the Jerusalem sick and blind and mute and paralyzed, all the infirmed would all congregate around that pool and wait for the waters to be troubled. In fact, it was at this very pool and this story from the book of John that was the inspiration for the chorus of the old spiritual wade in the water. Wade in the water, children. God's gonna trouble the water. And so all of these people would gather around the pool of Bethesda and the water would be troubled and it would bubble and as it stirred, so too would everybody waiting on the platforms around the pool, just hoping that they could time it correctly to be the first one into the pool and be healed, to be delivered and set free from the bondage of their suffering. But the truth is, it wasn't actually an angel stirring the water. It wasn't a spirit, and it likely didn't have any type of physical healing capabilities at all. There were similar pools nearby and all across the city, many of which were interconnected by subterranean underground streams. And so when, those, when the currents of those rivers changed, it caused the surfaces of the pools to bubble and to move. And yet the people still congregated. They still waited for the water to be troubled. They lived constantly in hope that the pool would change their life that their lives just revolved around trying to be the first ones in the pool. The hope that they lived towards, that they steered their entire lives towards, was the healing powers of the pool that we know didn't really exist. So let's zoom in on the man that Jesus meets in the passage, one of those people who has been spending time putting his hope in this pool. And the truth is his life has been defined by his suffering. The scripture says that he had been paralyzed for 38 years. 38 years. I haven't had the opportunity to do anything in my life for 38 years, so I can't even begin to fathom how his life revolved around the suffering that he was enduring from his condition. That suffering was likely the biggest part of his life. It was the biggest part of his experience, and it was the thing that probably colored most his perspective and outlook for his life. Think about it. Some of you have maybe been married for 38 years or longer. I would imagine that you would say, maybe outside of your faith, that that relationship with your spouse is what your life revolves around. Some of you maybe have been parents for that long. Or maybe you've been in a career for that long and you would say the same. There may even be some 38-year Chicago Bears superfans who are maybe resonating a little bit more with the long-term suffering of this story. All that to say, and jokes aside, of course, The man was living a life that was defined by suffering to the point where he felt that his only hope of new life and healing was to spend every single day waiting by the pool of Bethesda for someone to help him into the water. We can imagine that understandably, this man was harboring deep grief. He likely grieved the loss of a quote-unquote regular life the loss of relationships with friends and family and loved ones, and every day that slipped past, he may have grieved an increasing loss of the hope for transformation. And it's that hope that I want us to think about today. It's that hope in this story and where he's placing it, where we place it, 
that I think is really poignant for us to be thinking about. Over those 38 years, we get the sense that this man's hope was based, placed fully in the legend of the pool of Bethesda and in the other ailing people that came to the pool. In his suffering, he adopted a perspective of only seeing hope in worldly things and in people. And day in and day out, he directed his entire life toward that false hope. And so it might not actually be too far off for us to assert that maybe his primary suffering wasn't his body letting him down. Maybe it wasn't his physical condition, but more likely his suffering maybe stemmed from a lack of real hope and therefore a lack of joy in life. 38 years of being paralyzed. 38 years of waiting for healing from something that cannot heal. 38 years of pain, suffering, and grief. As difficult as it may be, let's sit with that man just for a moment. Imagine the conversations that would run through his head day in and day out. Empathize, if you can, with the headspace that he would find himself in sitting there by the pool every day. Now, and I want those of you who came with somebody in the room to share this to that person, and those of you in the, um, on the live stream, throw this in the chat. But as you're experiencing the life and thinking through the life that he had suffered over all these years, what is your reaction? What is your emotion when somebody comes up to you and asks, do you want to get well? Share that with the people around you or in the chat right now, just for a moment. What is your reaction? What is your emotion to that? I would imagine that your, most of your reactions would fall into one of a few different categories. First is understandably offended. Do I want to get well? You can sense the, the sharpness of frustration and disbelief that a question like that could even be asked. After all these years of suffering, how could someone have the nerve to ask something like that, to assume that I might not want to be healed? The second category is similar, similarly surprised, but with relief instead of anger. It's a yes, of course. Of course I want to be healed. It's the reaction of somebody who might be eager to place their hope in something new, something other than where they have been seeking hope because that well has returned dry. Thirdly, you'll find a reaction or an emotion similar to how the man responds to Jesus, utter hopelessness. The man specifically says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get, someone, get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. You can sense both the lack of belief in the object of his hope, but also the lack of a vision to see something greater, to see a bigger type of hope. You see, without that grander vision, Without a bigger hope on the horizon, he is locked into his suffering for 38 years. But I think that Jesus' intent in asking the question of do you want to get well is to elicit yet a fourth type of reaction. We know that Jesus wasn't the type to offend just for the sake of it. It wasn't his MO to make a spectacle of his miracles and he would have had a much grander vision than what the man showed in his response. 
In studying the life of Jesus, we know that the intent of his questions are often a little bit different than they appear at first. When Jesus asks the man, do you want to get well? He's not speaking necessarily to the wellness of the man's physical state as much as he is about the perspective that the man has on his own life and where he has placed his hope for renewal. Jesus knows that the man has become so accustomed to his suffering and seeking after hope in the wrong places that it might actually be more difficult for the man to live a healed life. You may even go as far to say that the man is more comfortable and content in his suffering than he would be if his body was healed. Jesus is not asking about physical healing, but full healing, spiritual, emotional. In one question, Jesus is asking, are you really ready to place your hope in something real? Are you really ready to abandon the life that you've made for yourself over the last 38 years? Are you really ready to let go of where you've rooted yourself? As backwards as it sounds, it is so easy for us to become comfortable in the circumstances that cause our suffering. To become apathetic, even content to adopt a perspective of hope that is smaller than the one that Jesus wants us to take. The truth is that God wants us to be living life abundantly. And so he has sent his light to lead us from the outlooks that hold us into suffering and grief into greater perspectives that bring us into true joy. And so now thinking of your own suffering and grief, Jesus is asking all of us, do you want to get well? Personally, my initial response is of course. Of course I want to get well. The somewhat long-standing suffering that I've been working through has a lot to do with, believe it or not, the pandemic. Balancing the tensions of trying to be careful and safe, but mourning and missing seeing my loved ones and family members in person is seeming to grow heavier and heavier every week. My wife, Kara, and I are so excited to be becoming parents for the first time in April but the question of what the world is gonna look like for our child at that time looms over my head. From my ministry context, serving with high school students, my heart is absolutely breaking for our young people right now, um, for whom isolation has been negatively affecting mental health in some major ways in our area. And so as I feel the weight of these different thoughts and realities, I try to comfort myself in the hope of things going back to normal. As much as it's difficult now, I say to myself, I know things will be better once all of this is over, once there's an effective vaccine and we can just get back to normal life, right? It's all gonna be better. But I wonder what the burdens that I'm feeling right now would feel like if my hope was instead placed in Jesus and not a vaccine. I wonder how God might offer strength and comfort in the face of those fears and sources of suffering if I truly believe that the God who loved me so deeply could also deliver me from those things. If my perspective of hope moved from something small and worldly to the one who is above it all. Maybe you're suffering right now. 
from a broken relationship, or you're grieving the loss of one, and after years of trying to repair the relationship to no effect, you've resigned to place your hope in the time when they want to reach out. Sure, you want the relationship to be restored, but right now it's just a little bit too much work to try again. What would placing your hope for that relationship fully in the God of restoration look like? How would that alter your lens for how you see that person? There might be someone listening in today who has been suffering from a sense of feeling unfulfilled, that something in life is missing. You're not reaching and tapping into that joy like you would hope, and you're realizing that your career success and your happy family aren't filling the void the way you thought they would. Maybe it's been a while since you've talked with God. Maybe it's been a while since you've been to church and that void is, is a lack of Jesus entering into your life. A lack of a posture of being ready to receive that relationship. What would it look like to lean into Christ once again? How might that fill the void of your life? For many of us, there's a specific vice in our life that is causing us to suffer, but thinking about pushing back on the grip that it has in our lives feels altogether too daunting. Our hope has gone from beating it to just living with it. How could putting our hope for defeating our vices fully in Jesus move us from suffering to living in joy? Friends, the truth is that I do feel a decent level of discomfort sharing this message today for a couple reasons. First of all, at least for me, as I've been reflecting on my own suffering this week and preparing for this message, that pointed and challenging question of do you want to get well really only adds to the burdens and fears and discomforts as it forces me to come face to face with the reality of where I am fixing my eyes and where I am placing my hope doesn't feel like the message of finding joy that maybe you were excited to hear today in this Christmas season. I'm feeling that tension right now with you. Secondly, there are those of you who are faithful servants of Jesus hearing this message right now from within the depths of deep grief and suffering. Whether it's longstanding or recent, amidst your pain, you are like the psalmist crying out to God living the balance of experiencing difficulty but holding your hope firmly in Christ. And to that end, today's passage at best may not sit well with you. You're not sensing any new insight or any new comfort to God's perfect timing that we read about in scripture. I sense that pain today and even more so God hears your cries. But one of my favorite pieces of this passage today is actually the part that might serve as a salve for those of us who are feeling the weight of suffering today. Those of us who are looking for that little bit of comfort and hope in this Christmas season, the pool of Bethesda was not on the side of the road. It wasn't on Jesus's route. In fact, it doesn't even seem like it was part of the plan at all because we don't hear anything about Jesus' disciples, the people who went everywhere with him. And so it just seems like Jesus decided to go to the pool to be with the man who was suffering, just like he comes to you and to me amidst our suffering. Jesus went to the pool. He went to the site of the suffering to sit with the man 
Amidst our deepest darkness, Jesus reaches out, he sits with us, he comforts us, he holds us, and he pierces our darkness with everlasting light. Advent is the time where we celebrate that Jesus comes to us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, even now, leading us through our pain to joy. We know that Jesus does not want us to suffer. Much like a tennis court isn't made for kicking a football around, this life that God has given us is not meant for pain and for grief. Jesus says in John 10, 10, that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly, as some translations say. And throughout scripture, we see the evidence of the fullness of life and the joy of life through Christ through the prophecies of Isaiah saying that the calf and the lion and the yearling will all uh, lie peacefully together under the reign of the almighty king, to Jesus fulfilling the need of the 5,000, to him offering life everlasting in the 11th hour, to the thief on the cross, to the countless stories of individuals all across history, all across the world, all across this very community who have a testimony that says, Jesus met me at the pool in my darkness where he heard me and he comforted me and he troubled my waters in a way that brought real and full healing to my life and he gave me a glimpse of the abundance of life that we can expect when we place our hope in him. When we are in our darkest moments and some of us are right there now, stricken with grief, stricken with suffering, know that the light of life, Jesus Christ, will lead us through to experience Real joy. The joy of being set free from the bondage of burden and suffering and placing our hope fully in a God who brings healing. I find it almost funny that when the man finally responds to Jesus' question, he's responding with such a narrow perspective. And I laugh about it because I relate with that. I do that too. You can picture the man stammering after Jesus says, do you want to be well? He says this, well, nobody ever wants to help me into the pool, let alone to be the first one after the water is stirred. And right there in that moment, we get the sense of that amazing grace of God, knowing that the man's perspective is yet too small, that his hope is still in the wrong place. He tells the man to do what? Pick up your mat and walk a loving invitation into a changed life, a challenge to shift perspective from settling for suffering to placing hope into the one who can bring real change and healing, not a promise of a life that will be easy and comfortable, but the true joy of life abundant. If you are feeling the weight of your burdens, suffering, and grief, or if you are feeling a nudge from the Lord to move away from a false comfort or of a vice that is dragging you into darkness, please know that one God will meet you at the pool to provide peace, to provide guidance, and to provide hope. And secondly, we as a church community, as a family, we are here for you. If you feel like God is stirring the waters in your heart right now, do not leave the building today. Do not close out of the live stream until you have talked to somebody. Talk to somebody in the room today. Reach out if you are on the stream. Reach out to one of our chat hosts who are ready to pray with you. Our care team at Christ Church is here to help all of us walk through the highs and the lows of life in relationship with Jesus Christ and they are eager to engage with you. 
Friends, in a year like the one that we've had, I do not need to stand up here anymore and point to the places that we as a people are experiencing darkness, grief, and suffering. But when we can look honestly into our suffering and amidst it all focus on the hope of a baby born in a manger, God will trouble the waters around us in a way that will bring amazing healing as we wade through. This season, join me in seeking Christ in such a way that draws our perspective away from our suffering and into the true joy of a life lived with him. Please pray with me. Father God, give us your perspective for the hope that you offer us. God, for a life lived abundantly. Lord, we know the stories of joy in life. We know the stories of peace. We know the stories of deep faith, God, and we want to get there. But sometimes we find ourselves putting our hope in the wrong place. Today, Lord, may we cling to your strength to offer us that abounding hope that is bigger than anything that we can imagine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, it is that hope that is so important. And today, as we move into this next song, I want you to invite you to be praying over these words, rest over these words, because this song reminds us that Jesus, the one who is living, keeps hope alive. Might be feeling for some of you that hope is nowhere to be found. Well, friends, hope is alive because of Jesus. So as we move into this song, allow these words to wash over you. Sing them loudly. Pray them from the bottom of your soul because Jesus is keeping our hope alive.
Jesus is keeping hope alive. He is alive here and now with all of us. Would you stand and receive this benediction? Friends, may we go and live as people of the light, placing our hope firmly in the one who can deliver us, set us free from our suffering and from our pain and drive us deeper into a life abundant, a life of joy. Go and do as the scriptures say, to be people of the light until we meet again. Amen. Have a great weekend.